All right, so just so you guys know where we're at, um, I did just get a new mic because the last one was like only over my one ear and then it gets stuck in my beard and then that's why you always saw me like finagling it. So I got the cool double little loop thing. So if you see me messing with it, it's because it's the first time wearing it and I'm just trying to figure it out. But I am so excited because we are now in the story of Samson and Delilah. Um, And it's... It's hard for me because, and I'll actually have to give you some background information. Uh, Miss Lang, aka Shelby, um, I have to I have to always delineate like young adult to teacher, especially with like Trevor and Shelby. And I always because all the kids are all like, "Oh, he called him Shelby," or "Oh, he called him Trevor," and then you know some of them are just disrespectful and do it themselves. But um, I got to go into her class yesterday, and I got to teach. It was yesterday, right? Yeah, Wednesday. And she asked me to come in, and so we talked about Bible interpretation because um, she teaches literature, right? Okay. Is that like the official name of like your class or? Oh, 10th grade English. I've been telling everyone she teaches literature. All right. Well, it's, yeah. Um, But one of the examples that I brought up was actually a story that we already covered with David and Goliath. And I, and I asked them because I wanted to be sure if I was giving the right information or if I was truly just missing the mark with culture, because even though I'm about to be 30, I'm, I'm outdated per technology at this point. Um, but I asked them, I'm like, if you guys are on TikTok or if you're on Instagram and you have these influencers who are out there, how many of you have ever been told that you are David? How many of you have been told that your problem in life is Goliath? And if you just sling that stone hard enough, you can tackle all of your problems. And about 80% of each of her classes, this is 10th grade, so what is that? That's 16, 15, 16? Yeah, 15, they, they almost all raised their hand that that's what they've heard. And we all know, unless, you've, unless you didn't hear my, my sermon on David and Goliath, that that's complete bunk. Um, that way of telling the story is miserable. But that's the type of interpretation work we get from people on social media, from people who are looking to make you feel good instead of leading you to be more holy and, and more in line with what Jesus Christ calls us to. Right, because ultimately, and then we kind of dove into it because youth group last night, Pastor Jeremy covered David and Goliath. And so I got to ask the senior guys the same question. And, and it was funny enough because one of the other leaders said, okay, so what are the giants in your life? I started tracking that narrative. And so I was crossing my fingers that I would just calm down for a second. But, but we got to it. And finally, the last kid who was actually joking said this. Some of them were like SAT prep and, and uh, homework and Mr. Morton's class or whatever. They, these were their giants in life, right? And then finally, the last kid finally went, myself. And for once in that moment, they all laughed. And I said, no, no, you don't understand. He gave the right answer. Because you can't conquer yourself. You can't save yourself, you aren't the answer. And we were able to share in that moment. And so I find myself a lot of times when I'm, when I'm prepping these stories, and it's just, this is me being raw with you guys, being honest, is I almost like to go into defense mode when I get into these stories. Like, what has the world done to these stories that I can help try to fix? And as I was reading Samson and Delilah's narrative, I, I realized and, and it might have been the story or it might just be God saying, dude, just keep it simple tonight. But either way, I was so thankful that this story is truly so applicable. And it's, it's not where we're having to wade through a lot of garbage. I'm sure there's people out there who could take this story and just make a complete heresy. But the reality is, is, is it's, it's almost a recap and a, and a, and a true narrative story that's, that's covered all the things that we've learned up to now in this series. And that's why I'm so excited for tonight. And, and the quote I want to open this up with you guys um, is from a guy named John Bunyan. He wrote a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if many of you have ever read that book or seen that book, but it's a phenomenal book on the Christian life. And if you want to borrow it, I have a copy. Um, but that one I definitely want back because it's a cool cover. Um, but this is his quote from Samson and Delilah. And, and I have to give you some backstory, and then we can dive into the problem. But this was his quote. He says this. He says, Temptations, when we meet them at first, are like the lion that reared up against Samson. But if we overcome them, the next time we see them, we shall find a nest of honey within them. 
And you see, we're not going to cover the, the beginning part of Samson because Delilah is kind of the capstone to the, to the Samson narrative. And so pretty much we're in the book of Judges. If you guys have your Bibles, Judges chapter 13 is where we're going to start. And so the judges, we wonder what judges are, or some of them we might not know, but Israel was God's people that he's working to, to show himself to the other nations. And so Israel just kept messing up, they kept messing up, and so what God did, because Israel was at still at the time the only nation that didn't have a legitimate king, they didn't have an earthly representative head yet, because they were meant to be God's people, so God was leading them, like the pillar of cloud and smoke that we learned at the Red Sea, God was leading them. And so what God did with Israel constantly messing up because they're humans and they just like to do that. We still like to do it. God said, you know what? I'm going to raise up judges that are going to be almost this, this picture of like that redeemer, right? They're going to be the ones that are going to bring rule. They're going to be kind of that, that focal head for a season in Israel that, would, that God would work specifically through them, almost like the pre-king. And so we've had a couple of those. And now so Samson is actually going to be raised up to be one of them. So that's where we get when we talk about judges, when we talk about Samson and Delilah, not Salilah, don't know where that came from. But, but that's where we're at in Israel's history right now. They, they haven't been whiny enough to, get, to want a king yet, but they've been dumb enough that we know they can't be left alone, right? So we now have the judges that they've brought up. And so, so we, when we get into the story, I want to I build into it for you guys this. And so I want to reread his quote again just because it, it's so good. Temptations, when we meet them at first, are as the lion that reared up, uh, reared up on Samson. But if we overcome them, the next time we see them, we shall find a nest of honey within them. See, Samson, we're going to learn, had a vow put on him. And, it, and it, gave him, it gave him this special relationship with God, again, to redeem his people. But we see in one of his interactions, Samson obviously is this angsty, just rebellious, punk teenager I don't know how old he is in there, but throughout his life, he was, he was just angsty, and he was very just wanting to do everything on his own. He wanted to do it his way. And in one of the, one of the stories that we get leading up to where we're going to be tonight, he, a lion attacks, right? And he overcomes the lion and, and keeps going forth, and by the time he crosses again, there's a bee's nest that had been built inside the lion's stomach. And one of the things that we're going to learn about here in just a moment is he was not allowed to eat anything unclean. I don't know about you, but honey from the, the stomach wall lining of a lion carcass is probably not the cleanest thing that you want to be touching. A, because it's dead and he's not allowed to touch anything that has death, but that just seems like a weird combination of dead lion and honey. So might be good. I don't know. But... <laughs> That's where that quote comes from, but, but I want us to hold on to that as we dive into Judges chapter 13, verses 2 through 5. It says this, it says, There was a certain man from Zara, from the family of Dan, whose name was Manoah. His wife was unable to conceive and have no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Although you are unable to conceive and have no children, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now please be careful not to drink a wine or beer or to eat anything unclean. For indeed, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You must never cut his hair because this boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth. And he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. And so we see him being raised up also with this now special vow, but also in the position of being a judge for Israel. That's why, again, we get the name of judges for the book because it's all about these different judges that took place. But I love... That again, if you guys remember, we talked about this with Moses in the Red Sea, the angel of the Lord. We now see that reoccurring theme of God before Christ coming into creation to put forth his plan. That theophany, as we call them, or Christophany, as we call them. It's God pre-Jesus coming into creation. And we see him again when things look so bleak, right? We see him entering in. And putting forth this promise to a barren woman. Who else had a problem like that? Abraham and his wife, right? The child of promise, Isaac. We now see it with Manoah and his wife. We see this beauty of God taking something that man sees as impossible. And God showing himself to be God saying, no, no. 
even though you are barren and even though you cannot conceive, you shall have a son. So have faith in that promise. So the Nazarite vow, what, Mitch, what is a Nazarite? What is this doing? So pretty much this Nazarite vow was something that was normally meant to be temporal. It was for a time period in, in someone in Israel's life when they were wanting to consecrate either themselves as a whole or, or a certain season of their life to the Lord. And so it was, it was like almost like fasting kind of. Like you fast over specific issues. You, you, you take this special time to do that. For them, it was this Nazarite vow. So they wouldn't, like I said, they wouldn't eat uh, anything unclean. They wouldn't drink anything of alcohol. They would keep themselves very just abstinent from a lot of things. And obviously, one of them was they couldn't cut their hair. So some of us are already right there on track, right? But um, it actually comes from, if you ever want to look more into it, it comes from Numbers chapter 6. Verses 1 through 4 and then 13 through 14. 13 through 14 depict how you end the vow. So how they would end the vow is by sacrificing a sin offering. To show like, yes, even though we've had this vow and we've tried to keep it, you know, we know we've probably messed up in the course of it, but we're now offering the sin offering as kind of the closing out, the completion, the fruition of this vow. But what makes this so special? What makes it so different for Samson that we have to focus on it? Let's go down to uh, verses 12 through 18. So, of course, his wife goes back to Manoah, and Manoah's like, I got to hear this for myself if the angel of the Lord came and told you this, right? So, so they, they now go back, and Manoah asked for this guy, and he says, so uh, verse 12 says, Then Manoah asked, When your word comes true, what will be the boy's responsibility and work? The angel of the Lord answered Manoah, Your wife needs to do everything I told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine or drink wine or beer. She must not eat anything that is unclean, and your wife must do everything I have commanded. Manoah, please stay here, Manoah told him, and we will prepare for you a young goat. And the angel of the Lord said to him, if I stay, I won't eat your food. But if you want to prepare a burnt offering and offer it to the Lord... Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to him, what is your name so that, when, so that we may honor you when your words come true? Why do you ask my name, the angel of the Lord asked, since it is beyond understanding? See, I love this. It just seems so ordinary as another commander, almost a repeat of those few verses. But we see that Samson from, from the womb is being set apart. He was to be a Nazarite to save the people of Israel from the Philistines. So his vow was not a situational vow. His vow wasn't temporal like the other ones were. His vow was set apart because it was going to be from birth till death. He was to be set apart as a judge, as a Nazarite for the Lord. But what I love the most, and this is almost like an off-topic, just beautiful point, is it shows us once again that God is even involved before birth, right? God is involved before birth, and that means there is life in the womb. See, not only was he not allowed to eat unclean or not drink alcohol, but as long as Samson was in her womb, she could not either, showing the connection between mother and child, showing the life that the mother is providing for the child in the womb until birth, seeing that whole connection shows us that full picture of how God is caring for the whole narrative. And I love it because Manoah doesn't even understand that this is the angel of the Lord. He just thinks it's some random like prophet dude. He's like, dude, let, let, let's make a burnt offering for this. You know, let me know your name so that when it comes true, I love that he had faith enough not to go if it comes true, but he says when it comes true. So Manoah had faith enough in this guy's saying to believe it, but he thought he didn't understand who this person was. And I love, because in, in, in the CSB translation, it says beyond understanding, and in, in some other translations, and actually in the original language, it also says it is too wonderful. My name is too wonderful for you to understand. And why is that important? Because who is given wonderful counselor, prince of peace? whose name is above all other names, whose name is beyond understanding, the name that is given to Christ Jesus. So we see again that connection to the, this reality of who the angel of the Lord is, and we see that God is coming again into human history 
to push forth His plan, to push forth His will. So we see this is that setup. This is, this is the reality of Samson. And so now that we have kind of his birth and that oath taken care of, we can dive into the heartbeat of the Samson and Delilah story. And I have to stop myself because every time I say Delilah, I want to sing the 94.9 jingle. And I don't even think she's on that station anymore. So it was always cool because she did like the call-ins and it was like people like, ah, oh, I argued with my wife earlier and I want to say I'm sorry. Can you play this song, and then they play the song, and she just so happens to be listening to the radio, and anyways, but <laughs> that's how, that, today is a good day, um, but, but to fill in kind of a couple of the gaps, because we go from chapter 13 all the way over to chapter 16, yes, chapter 16, um, if you want to flip over there, but from 13 to 16, pretty much we see Samson grow up. We see him recognize his power. We see him, he understands the mission. He understands he's, he's there to rescue Israel from the Philistines. But in the course, he has two wives. He's had two wives already, and both of them were not of Israel, which is what he was commanded. But they were from Philistines and pagan culture, and so they tricked him, they deceived him. And, and we see this kind of track of Samson growing more and more into realizing his capability in his flesh and in his mind that he forgets the oath. He, 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 bless you. He thinks it's more so him and not God at this point because he keeps getting this self-affirmation. He keeps seeing this blessing. At one point, he kills X number of Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Right? Like that, if that doesn't boost your confidence, I don't know, I don't know what will. Right? At least back then, that's how now if you do it, people, you're probably getting arrested for multiple reasons, but you're running around with the jawbone of a donkey. So, so that's kind of where we're at. Samson's now to the point, right? We're at the, we're at the climax of his story. It was, he was supposed to be raised up to be a, a redeemer picture for Israel, someone to keep them on track, and yet he goes completely rogue. Because he sees what God's doing, and yet he doesn't understand that it's God. He keeps seeing himself, and he's, he's going self-centered. He's going, Samson is powerful. Samson is strong. Samson will do. Samson, Samson, Samson. Never once remembering that this is only because of the vow that God consecrated onto him from birth. And that's where we now get into the heartbeat in chapter 16. We open up on verse 4. So sometime later, he fell in love. So now, ooh, fell in love for the third time. Let's we'll see how this one works out. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman named Delilah, who lived in Sherok Valley. The Philistine leaders went to her and said, persuade him to tell us where his great strength comes from so we can overpower him, tie him up, and make him helpless. Each of us will give you a thousand and one pieces of silver. And so we're not given much description or, or backstory to Delilah, but we're given enough context to grab a few things. So, so the town where she's from is actually the fifth stronghold city of the Philistines. And with that connection she has, the leaders who came up to her said, we're going to pay you to figure out his strength. We see that there's at least enough to let us know that she is most likely not an Israelite, that she, again, is another Philistine woman that he's fallen in love with. But the, the thing is, we also have to remember in Hebrew, names back then held way more weight with meaning than they do now. Now we just look up baby generator names, and we're like, oh, it means gift of God. And we're like, no, nah, it's, it's fine. You're okay. Like, Jacob is deceiver. So if you have the name Jacob, there you go. Perfect timing. <laughs> So, so really, nowadays, we don't hold much weight to it, right? But back then, there was a lot of weight. And so, listen closely. This is, Delilah had two, because she, she was very Semitic. So Semitic, they're, they're a blend of, of almost Israel and, and a pagan culture. And so if you look at Delilah from the Hebrew, it actually means devotee. And so what was she devoted to in, in uh, the Philistine places, and then in the in then in the pagan kind of just cultural language, it meant to deceive. So her name had devotee and to deceive. If we go back to the original roots of her name, 
And so back then, if we're, if we're given, she fell in love with, uh, named Delilah. We actually, a lot of commentary pulls her to, uh, there was women who used to work the temple courts in the false temples in, in pagan culture. Um, and, and they would call, they were temple prostitutes. And that's what they were. They were these, because in pagan culture back then, as much as it is now, I feel like we're just still in it. It's, it's very sexual. It's very sexualized and it's, it's very physical and idolatrous and, and conceptual of the body. That's why if you look at a lot of pagan culture and a lot of cults, there's usually sex and weird, devious things tied into it. And so we see this narrative about Delilah being built. And so now we jump into, this is going to be a little bit of a longer read, but starting in verse 6, it says this. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where does your great strength come from? How could someone tie you up and make you helpless? First off, off the bat, if, if anyone, guy or girl, walks up to you that you're in a relationship with and goes, how can I overtake you? Unless they're in UFC, run. And if they are in UFC, run anyways. You're going to get hurt. So he should have known off the bat that this was a bad scenario. But what does he do? Samson told her, if they tie me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I will become weak and be like any other man. The Philistine leaders brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied them up with them. While the men in ambush were waiting in her room, she called out to him, Samson, the Philistines are here. But he snapped the bowstrings as a strand of yarn snaps when it touches fire. The secret of his strength remained unknown. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have mocked me and told me lies. Won't you please tell me how you can be tied up? Really? She's now offended. And she's the one trying to get him taken over. So let's see where we go. You have mocked me and told me lies. I love it. Verse 11. So here's, here's round number two for Samson. Let's see what he does. Verse 11, he told her, if they tie me up with new ropes that have not been used, I will become weak and be like another man. Delilah took new ropes and tied him up with them and shouted, Samson, the Philistines are here. But while the men in ambush were waiting in her room, he snapped the ropes of his arms like a thread. And Delilah said to Samson, you have mocked me all along and told me lies. Tell me, how can you be tied up? And he told her, if you weave seven braids on my head into the fabric of a loom. That's just clever. <laughs> she fastened the braids with a pin and called to him, Samson, the Philistines are here. He woke up and guess what? From his sleep, he pulled out a pin and with the loom and the web. Verse 15, how can you say I love you, she told him. My goodness, talk about a toxic relationship. She's still the one trying to manipulate and overpower him, and he's just an idiot playing with sin. And what does she do? You say you love me. Why are you lying to me? I don't know. We're about to go into round four. Thank you. So when your heart, oh, so you told, you, how can you, verse 15, how can you say I love you, she told him, when your heart is not with me, oh my goodness. This is the third time you have mocked me and not told me what makes you strong, what makes your strength so great. Verse 16, because she nagged him day after day and pleaded with him until she wore him out. Solid start. He told her the whole truth and said to her, my hair has never been cut because I am, a na I am Nazarited to God from birth. If I am shaved, my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like another man. Let us remember back in verse 6 where, where she says, please, where does your great strength come from? How can someone tie you up and make you helpless? See, for people who don't have God, everything has to be in the nature of this world and in something tangible. 
They were coming from the Philistine leaders and Delilah were coming from. There's something that Samson has that if we can tie him up and take it, we can make him powerless. See, we know, we know from the background that the vow and the stipulations put on it are but secondary to the faith that Samson was to have to keep those commands. It's never been the fact, not not, it's not like all you guys with long hair have some uber strength all of a sudden. Right? Yet it was a stipulation of the vow, but it was the faith in the heart that was making the vow real. See, but they didn't understand that concept because they didn't understand God. You see, when we are void of God and knowledge of him, we only think in these tangible and understandable ways. Now, remember, this is the, four, the third go-around with a failed wife. And if he doesn't realize it yet, I, I think we all know this is a failed relationship. And, and technically, it's not. They're together, I guess. Morally, it's failed. And it's the fourth go-around with a blatant sinful action because even though he kept himself and was guarding himself from his strength being taken away, he wasn't lying to her. But he also stayed. He was playing around and messing around with sin. He was blatantly choosing to stay in the sin. And ultimately, Sin in the form of Delilah came and said this, because she nagged him day after day and pleaded with him until she wore him out. See, the slope of of deception has taken place. This chunk of text shows us the wariness of sin on the soul when we continue to play with it. It's a petty sin. It's small. It's my pet sin. I can keep it in my pocket and no one knows. It's just me in my room. I don't have to worry about it. Day after day. God, I'll I'll stop tomorrow. God, I'll give this over tomorrow. God, just one last time. And we see the proof of what blatantly knowing what's wrong and still doing it anyway does to us and our soul. It wears us down to where we give in. It wears us down until we break and we fall apart. And we see the reality of this in verse 18 through 20. When Delilah realized that he had told her the whole truth, she sent this message to the Philistine leaders. Come one more time, for he has told me the whole truth. The Philistine leaders came to her and brought silver with them. It's almost like they knew that she was just going to fail the first couple times. They They finally brought the money. Verse 19, then she let him fall asleep on her lap and called a man to shave off the seven braids of his head. In this way, she made him helpless and his strength left him. Verse 20, then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines are here. And when he woke from his sleep, he said, I will escape as I did before and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. Here is sin and Satan's ticket. When the fool rests in the reality of his sin, the comfort becomes the blinders to truth. Asleep in her lap, verse 19, she let him fall asleep in her lap. The one to bring him down and trade him to death was also his comfort. Your sin that makes you feel so good, your sin that brings you such joy in the moment, that sin that you're like, man, this is, I'm not murdering people. It's just porn, it's just a toxic relationship. It's just sex outside of marriage. We see what happens when comfort takes over. We see the reality of if we keep disobeying God, soon enough that same comfort blinds us to the reality of what we were doing. The Lord had left him. You see, he was so numb to sin 
that he never realized that he had fallen as far as he had. If you remember, it wasn't like they had to sit there and shave a whole bunch of loose hair off. He was the one who told her, if my hair is braided, Right? He's the one who told her to braid the hair. It's a lot easier to shave off seven strands of, of braids than it is to shave off a whole head. I assume. I don't know. I might maybe. <laughs> She's, nah. but, but think about it. The convenience in that. As we keep tracking, keep playing with sin, you get more and more. It's like an addiction to drugs. One hit's all it takes the first time. A few times later, it takes a few more hits. It takes one beer. It takes two beer. It takes three beer. All of a sudden, now it's taking you a whole 12-pack to feel a buzz, and you don't know what's happening anymore. That's what playing with sin is like. At first, it's just looking at girls on Instagram or guys on Instagram. Next thing you know, that's not satisfaction. Because they have like somewhat of guidelines and there has to be some type of clothes. So where do we go? We go to the internet. You see, it's these baby steps. It's these baby steps. Samson kept screwing around and finding out. So what happened now that his power left him? 21 through 30. Verse 21, the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he was forced to grind grain in prison. But his hair began to grow back after it had been shaved. Now the Philistine leaders gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to their god Dagon. They had rejoiced and said, our God has handed over our enemy Samson to us. When the people saw him, they praised their God and said, our God has, oh, no, there you go. Oh yeah, no, we're still on track. Our God has handed him over to, uh, handed us our enemy who destroyed our land and who multiplied our dead. You see the place, this is great because earlier in Samson's life, and he was going out and attacking the Philistines. He actually just walked up to Gaza at one point, grabbed the front gates of their city, and just ripped them off the walls to go kill people. But yeah, probably for fun. He, brought, he could have just opened the door. But ripped open the gates to the city to go kill Philistines. So how ironic is it now that he has been punished, he is brought back to the place where he brought such embarrassment. And I loved this part of the story so much because it reemphasizes that whole narrative with Delilah. Why? I lo- so many smarter people than I am pointed this out, and then I caught on it. It was mind-blowing. But think about it. First, when we mess around with sin, it causes us to be blind to God and his word. They gouged out Samson's eyes. Messing around with sin makes you blind. Next thing sin will do is it binds us up in whatever emotions and sensation it needs to to trap us. Samson was bound and shackled. See, at a certain point, those things that we start messing around with, those sins that make us feel so comfortable, we love that comfort too much. We're now blinded to the warning signs and to the guardrails that God has given us so graciously. And last, they force him to grind grain into prison. Sin will grind you down and beat you up until there is nothing left. The joy, the contentment, the comfort that that sin is bringing you will eventually lead to an empty moment and you will feel worse than ever before. And that is the cycle of sin. That is the cycle of people who are in Christ and have fallen away and backslid or the cycle for someone who doesn't know Jesus at all. That's why we see adrenaline junkies. That's why we see all these, they're always chasing the next best thing. And this is what I'm guilty of, but we even have to be careful for people who are workaholics. We want to feel accomplished so 
bad that we want to be the best at our job because that's what brings us affirmation when we leave God completely behind because I'm too busy trying to make that next sale. I'm too busy trying to be employee of the week and have my picture up in Publix. (laughs) And it's funny, but how true is it? Even, Even work, which was meant to be good, can lead us away and make us fall into sin by making it an idol. It blinds us to God. It binds us to the emotions and the comfort it has to trap us in there, and then eventually it's going to grind you down to where you feel empty and lost. But the story's not over. Verse 25. When they were in good spirits, that's just old talk for saying they're all blitzed, They said, bring Samson here to entertain us. So they brought Samson from the prison and he entertained them. They had him stand between the pillars and Samson said to the young man who was leading him by his hand, man, this mighty man is now being led by a little servant boy. Lead me where I can feel the pillars supporting the temple so I can lean against them. The temple was full of men and women and all the leaders of the Philistines were there. And about 3,000 men and women were on the roof watching Samson entertain them. And he called out to the Lord, Lord God, please remember me and strengthen me, God, just once more. With one act of vengeance, let me pay back the Philistine for my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars supporting the temple and leaned against them, one on his right and one on the other of his le- on his left. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the leaders and all the people in it, and those he killed at his death were more than those that he killed in his life. You see, when pagan worship was at its peak, they were celebrating a God that literally had a fish body and a human head. I wish I was kidding. Shows how weird people are. And at the lowest point that Samson could possibly be, he was blinded, powerless, awkward teenage year haircut because it was starting to grow back, and just bruised and beaten and captured and made to entertain the drunk masses. One, the, the world's at the, its high and, and God's guy is at the lowest. And that's why if we go back, it's almost like that verse is so weird. But verse 22, in the midst of them just showing how beat up Samson is, it says, but his hair began to grow back, at, uh, grow back after it had been shaven. And then we see his prayer. I, I, love, I love the reality of the wording of his prayer. Because verse 28 is so pivotal. Samson finally realized that it was all God all along. It wasn't him being strong. It wasn't him being powerful. It wasn't him doing all the, all the saving of Israel. He was nothing without God and his power in him. Look at, his, look at his prayer one more time. Lord God, please remember me. Strengthen me. God, strengthen me just one more time. Please let me pay back. Asking now permission instead of just going forth and doing See, he knew the strength now came from God. He finally understood what he was supposed to understand from birth. He understood it was all God. I want to close out tonight with this passage. You can turn there if you'd like. If not, it's only two verses. But it's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. See, because with the story of Samson and Delilah, with this account of Samson and Delilah, It it almost seems just completely bleak the whole time. It's like how 98% of rom-coms should end without a happy ending. (laughs) Let's be honest. Most of them have the weird twist. It's always 15 minutes before the movie ends. They have the massive argument at 20 minutes, and then at 15 minutes, they're like, oh, I was an idiot. I never asked if he was truly taking the job in Alaska. It does, but life's not always a happy ending. For Christians, it is. So hear me out, because that's what we're about to hit. You want the best happy ending ever? You're about to hear it. Listen, that's just because I talk through them. (laughs) 
verses 1 and 2 in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Keep our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith, of our faith. For the joy that laid before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, where Samson completely messed it up and only understood it when he was left blind, bound, and beaten. We now see that just as he had that gift given to him from birth, that Nazarite gift to be that redeemer for Israel, and he did it very imperfectly. He killed more in his death than he did in life, right? And it was finally in his deathbed that he understood the mission. And God's will was still completed. We now see Jesus does it perfectly. Jesus, the ultimate redeemer of God's people, with joy took the cross. With joy was the pioneer and perfecter of our faith and salvation. So where is our hope in this world? Where is our hope when we are constantly struggling with all these small sins or maybe even a big sin? Where is our hope for rest, for peace, for progression? Where is it? It's right here. It is in dropping in all connections to sin. They are a weight that we do not need. Jesus has created, completed, and then commissioned our salvation. Cling to that truth for now how we live. You cannot save yourself. You cannot overcome sin. If you could, God didn't have to send Jesus. But Jesus overcame sin and death by taking the cross with joy. He knew the outcome. How in the world could someone take the cross with joy? He knew the outcome. He knew that it purchased salvation. See, we let the temporal feeling of sin outweigh the eternal reality of what Jesus did for us. We let the comfort of here and now blind us from the comfort of knowing we have eternity to look forward to. We need to cling white-knuckled to the completed work of the cross. Let go of the grip that you think you have on the sin on your, in your life because we think we can control it. I'm here to tell you, good luck. Because it will blind you, it is going to bind you, and it is going to pulverize you into the ground. And then you're going to think your solution is, well, this outcome wasn't so bad. I kind of want to fill that void again. Let me go fill it again. And let me fill it again. And let me fill it again. One moment it was Instagram, the next minute you're watching porn. The one moment it was your anger that you just let getting kindled and kindled and the next time you've now hurt somebody. Maybe you hurt someone and it feels good then the next time you now have killed somebody. You now have no respect for anyone but you because you're trying to cover up those sins in your life that you think you have control of. Jesus becomes everything when we realize that all other things in our life are nothing. Samson's long hair, Samson not drinking wine or eating anything unclean was but a tangible guideline for the faith that he was supposed to have in the promise and the vow. If he simply was just obedient to God in his heart first, his actions would have followed. But he thought he could play with sin. He thought he could say, Satan can be my friend on the side. That one that I call or text late at night. 
that little pocket pet sin that I can just say, oh, I'll delete the app this time. All right, I'll delete the app one more time. I'll cut that person out of my life because they're a bad influence next time. It's a slippery slope. And this is the doctrine I want us to leave with tonight. This is where I really want to close out with tonight is this one doctrine. Sometimes I do two or, two or three, but we're going to just do one. It's a doctrine of conscience, right? We always see it in cartoons, the little angel, the little devil. Be nice. No, punch him in the throat. Right? So this is the Mitch definition here. Our conscience is the premise of human thought and processing that has two major utilities or two major purposes. First, it's the reality that in life there's almost this part of us that seems to be almost outside of every situation we're in and is giving us comments and judgment on it. It's, like, it's that when you walk into a moment and you're almost outside of yourself going like, this pretty much might be a bad idea, right? You're kind of weighing the options as you're like walking into the scenario. Like that's your conscience. That's that small voice in your head. But the second is then how we choose to apply these thoughts and judgments in the moment. We see, from a fall, uh, we see from the fall that all humanity is cursed and tainted by sin. So our consciousness is thus swayed by a sinful judgment and sinful comments. It is only in the renewal of the person via the blood of Christ and surrendering to him that one now has a conscience no longer captive to sin, but enslaved to God and his precepts. Genesis 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So how do we make sure our conscience is in line with God? Romans 12. Renew your mind daily on the word of God and do not conform to this world. See, we as believers, our conscience gets released as much as we do. And we now have the power of the Holy Spirit bringing us back to the word, bringing us back to God's precepts. That When you go to text that girl one more time, it's gone, buddy you know the emptiness you're going to feel in about 30 minutes. It's that, it's that one more drink. Or, man, I feel better after five like I did last time. Maybe just don't go out that night. <laughs> right? We, we now understand that that is God working through our conscience because it's now captive to him. So let me leave you with these points. So, Number one, sin comes in the form of earthly comfort, but righteousness comes in the form of heavenly conviction. Stop whining that you feel condemned by the Bible. No, that's your conscience via the Holy Spirit giving you conviction to say, stop being an idiot. Stop giving in to sin. Stop teasing with it like Samson did, and then finally, after all the nagging and complaining, guess what? He gave in. Beware of the three steps of sin. It blinds us to our sinfulness. It blinds us to God's word, but it binds us by guilt and or comfort, and it grinds you down until you feel trapped and numb. If we can catch those three triggers, a lot of your pet sins will seem manageable in the power of Christ. Because he's going to be able to help you walk through what's blinding you, what's been binding you, and what's been crushing you. Start realizing those triggers in your life. Number three, the grace of God is greater than the glimmer of sin. Sin looks so good. I promise you, I get it. Some of those pet sins that just feel so good for a moment until you have to chase it harder and longer. Commit more sin to get that sin there for you. The grace of God is greater than it. And like I said before, Jesus becomes everything when we realize all other things are but nothing. Seek Jesus. As Pastor Jeff has been preaching nonstop for the last couple weeks, abide in Jesus and him abide in you. All else will come after that, but seek first Christ. Guys, like I said from the beginning, this story, I thought I was going to be able to get nerdy and, and dive deep into some stuff, and, and, I, and it made me realize that this, was, this, one, this one was just too good to just try and do anything else but keep it right where it is. 
And I want to challenge you guys tonight as you talk about the questions around the tables here in a minute as, to really dive in. Don't just answer them to answer them, but to dive in. Because the three steps of sin, if we can, if we can understand that God gave them to us for a reason. Because he wants us through Christ to start conquering those. What does Christ say? Me through you is greater than the world. Right? Beware, you are now more than overcomers because I have overcome the world. If you have Jesus Christ in your heart, if you are born again, if you have surrendered and been born again, you have Jesus within you who is the power to overcome sin. He is the one who enables you to overcome sin. Stop doing it on your own terms like Samson did because we see what that leads to. Lean on Christ, who Hebrews 12 says is the pioneer and the perfecter of your salvation. He is the one with joy who took the cross so that if you surrender to him, you can be born again and be fully captive to him and his glory. And he will bring you comfort that is beyond understanding. Not your sin, not anything this world has to offer, Christ alone. Let's bow. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth, God. It breaks my heart when I hear people on social media or TV or even in churches teach us that we don't need the Old Testament. God, if we didn't need it, you wouldn't have given it to us. But man, you made sure that it stayed. And God, we are so thankful. We are so thankful as believers in this day and age that you have given us the full, complete Bible so that we can see Samson and Delilah and we can see how Satan works and operates. We can see how our sins, our sin nature gets triggered. And as believers, we now can learn how to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in overcoming those. God, work in our groups tonight. Let us, let us speak truth to each other. Let us be honest with each other and let us be honest to ourselves about where we're at with this topic. God, we love you so much. And we pray this all in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Again, I encourage you, please finish out with a small group. I have announcements afterwards. But find different people that you haven't potentially sat with before. Get new perspectives. If you're at a table with not a bunch of people, go hang out with another table. All that fun stuff. And if you guys need it or have questions, Jess and I will be sitting up here by the stage like we always do. Dude.